Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Today, I just want to open with this. How many know warnings are interesting? Warnings. We're talk a little bit about warnings today. The warning is the title of the message today. We're in our, uh, we're in week seven of our study called "Long Story Short," where we're going through Genesis to Revelation key moments in God's big story and and trying to wrap up the whole thing in just thirteen weeks. And last week we talked about kingdoms, and this week we're going to be looking at prophets, prophets, and uh, the period of the prophets is categorized by the theme of warnings. Warnings. So I got to thinking, what would life be like without warning? What would life be like without warning? Some warnings remind us to stay hydrated when it's really hot. Boy, we'd really like it to be really hot, wouldn't we, outside? Some warnings warn us, again, of weather conditions like we had this morning. Had we paid attention to the warnings, we'd have known that conditions are going to be quite snowy. In fact, I've got an app on my phone that's the Weather Channel app, and it, it gives me alerts. And it said that by 11.06, the snow would begin again. Yeah, as I came out from baptism, that's what it said on my phone. I said, oh, lovely, the snow again, more again. Some warnings uh, wear, wear, uh, encourage you to wear a safety helmet or protective eyewear. Some warnings have sound. Some have sirens, and like ambulance and police. There are fire warnings. There's tornado warnings. And of course, my favorite, if you keep doing that to your face, it's going to stay that way. Anybody ever had that one before? Warnings, right? These are Warnings, and uh, sometimes you get visual warnings, signs along the highway that warn you of construction and changing patterns to keep you safe on the road, blinking arrows and blinking lights to try to get your attention. Right in our own area, right here on Route 90, they now have an adjustable speed limit because they want to warn you when conditions become unsafe because of lake effect snow. Yuck. Some warnings just sound like good advice. In fact, I was preparing for this message and I came across some warnings that are on the side of products. How many of you know that, that there are a lot of warning labels now because everybody's afraid of being sued? And so they put warning labels on everything. And so I just picked out a few because I thought these were, were kind of interesting. So on a curling iron, they put this warning for external use only. On a curling iron, again, here's another one. Warning, this product can burn eyes. No kidding, right? On a hairdryer, do not use in the shower. Do any of you use your hairdryer in the shower? In fact, do I have a microphone up there and I was warned when my hands are wet not to touch it. <laughs> Here, here's one, and, and this is just because I'm, a, I'm an Ohio State Buckeyes fan, and so I found this to be interesting. On a toilet at a public sports facility in Ann Arbor, Michigan, can't imagine what sports facility that was, Recycled flush water, unsafe for drinking. On a toilet, interesting. On an electric rotary tool, this product not intended for dental use. I should hope not. On a toilet bowl cleaning brush, do not use orally. Don't use that toilet brush orally. 
And on a portable stroller, probably my favorite, caution, remove infant before folding for storage. Warnings, right? We have got warnings. Warnings, are, warnings can mean life or death. Smoke detectors and, and carbon monoxide detectors warn you of dangers you don't even detect. You don't even know. And all of a sudden, they're going off warning you. Some warning signs say danger. Keep out like the one that was at a, a, a Six Flags over Georgia, a restricted area. Danger. Keep out. But on June 28, 2008, Asia Lee LaShawn Ferguson went over two fences and entered that restricted area. The 17-year-old was hit and killed by a Batman roller coaster. And it's not knowing why he climbed over the fence. When his dad was, was asked, do you know why he would have climbed over the fence? His dad said, only the Lord knows. And you know what? There are times in our lives where we are warned, where there are warnings. And we cross over that warning and we say, why did you go past the warning? Why did you climb over the fence? Why didn't you heed the warning? And perhaps we might say, only the Lord knows. If we ignore warning signs, we can find ourselves in dangerous and deadly situations. What is it about warnings in life? What's so important about warnings? Well, as we've looked today, warnings are for our safety. They keep us from entering into a situation that can cause harm and pain. Warnings can be protective in nature. And if we look back at the start of the Bible in the Garden of Eden where we began the long story short, there was a passage in Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17 that was a warning. God said, the Lord commanded the man saying this, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Why? Why? Here's the warning. For in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Was God trying to be harsh? Was God trying to be uncaring? He had provided everything. But this one area, he said, warning, 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 don't eat of this fruit because this fruit, this fruit is going to cause consequences that I don't want for you. But as we know the result, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and as a result, there is a sin and broken filled world we experience today and plenty of death. When God delivered Israel from bondage out of the hand of the Egyptians, as we saw, one of the things that he did, the final plague was the, the plague of the firstborn, that the firstborn would die. But he gave that warning and he said, listen, I warn you of this, unless you take a pure and spotless lamb and unless you follow the instructions and you, you kill that pure and spotless lamb and you, you have a Passover meal and you take the blood and put it over the doorpost, if you do that, then the angel of death that comes will pass. Passover, but if you don't, you will experience the same thing that the Egyptians are going to experience. It was a warning, a warning. Therefore, you get Passover. And last week, we saw that Israel wanted a king. The people went to Samuel, and they said that they wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted a king, and God said to Samuel, tell them what kings do. Warn them about what kings do, and, and if you've got our PAG app, you can, you can see the passage of Scripture, but I don't have time. I'm not going to get into it and read it today, but it says that kings will take your money. They will tax you, and they will take your land, and they will take your kids, and they will make them servants, and they will, they will have them work for you, and he warned them about what would happen if they had a king instead of God being king. And last week we saw what happened under Saul's leadership and David's leadership, and we touched briefly on Solomon and, and, and David's son. 
And under Solomon, we said there was great peace, there was great economic wealth, but as a part of that, Solomon also got a lot of people to be a part of his labor force, and he worked them very hard. He would marry foreign wives to make treaties with other nations, and, and although he built a temple for Jehovah God in marrying these other wives, many, many wives, in order to have peace with other nations, they came bringing in the gods that they worshipped and the idols that they worshipped, and so to appease them, he also built temples to their gods and to worship their gods, and as a result, Israel's heart began to be turned to other gods and other idols. Warning. Warning, then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he took over as king, and the person in charge of the labor force, Jeroboam, came in and said, listen, your father worked us really hard, but if you will ease up on the people, they will serve you. And so he decided he wasn't even going to consult God. So we have David who consulted the Lord. We have Solomon with one foot in and one foot out. And now we have Rehoboam who doesn't even consult the Lord. He consults Solomon's advisors, the advisors of his father. He, he, he consults his friends as his advisors and decides to, he's going to take the advice of his friends and he says, I'm going to make it even harder on you. And as a result, the kingdom is split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdoms of Judah. And both kingdoms struggled to serve the Lord. And depending on the king and the throne and the season of his reign, oftentimes they would turn to idolatry and they would turn to serving other gods. Jeroboam, when he took a whole host of people and split the kingdom to the northern kingdom of Israel, did not want the people going and making the trek to Jerusalem to worship that they might turn away from him and his leadership and go back to, to serving under Rehoboam. And so he decided that he was going to set up a golden calf. Just then you'd think he'd learn from what happened before. But he, history repeats itself. He was going to set that up so the people could worship there and not have to go up. And as a result, hearts were turned away and Israel had king after king after king after king that did not serve the Lord but led the people into idolatry and the same thing happened in the southern kingdoms now they had some they always kept in the same line of David because we have a covenant keeping promise keeping God amen and there in Jerusalem, somebody who was in the line of David was always as a king, but not all of their hearts were turned to the Lord. And sometimes they would repent, and sometimes they would serve the Lord. And as a result, the nation would turn back to serving the Lord. But another king or another season in that king's life, when he turned away from the Lord, would lead the entire nation again back into idolatry because leadership is important. And so what do you have during this time when you read the history, what you have in, in the history of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you have a history of Israel and you have a history of Judah and their kingdoms. And sometimes you can say, well, I thought this king was reigning, and what about this king? And it can get confusing in the word of God, but you need to understand that there were two kingdoms. The kingdom was split. And so it, depending on where you're reading, you have to see if it says kingdom of Israel or kingdom of Judah. And I say that because sometimes the Old Testament can be difficult to understand as you're reading. But during this time of the kings, what you also have are prophets. So you have the kings, but during the time of the kings, there were also prophets that were raised up. God embedded prophets, kind of like a, a news person would be embedded into a, 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 military, uh, a military unit, and you'd have these prophets that would be embedded into the culture. And the prophets were spokesmen from God to the people. A true prophet is this. A true prophet is one who speaks for God to man. 
And in the end of Moses' life, the office of the prophet was created. And someone in the office of the prophet would have prophetic words, warnings, encouragements, and challenges. And they'd oftentimes warn kings and warn leaders and warn nations. Their primary duty was to speak God's message to God's people in the historical context of the moment. So during the period of the kings, you have prophets, the same time period, providing instructions and warnings. And, and we look at the prophets in Scripture, and, and in the Old Testament, we have what's called the major prophets and the minor prophets. And you see their writings later on. So again, the context of the Bible, you have historical books. And then during the time of history, you will oftentimes have these prophets that, arrive, that, that come in and that are at the same time period. And so when you read their prophetic words, you have to understand that that's at the same time frame as this part in history. And so you have major prophets. What made them major prophets? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. What were they major? They were major in terms of the context of what was going on at that time, as well as the content, the amount of content that we have that they, they have written. And so their, their books, their, their prophetic books tend to be larger. They tend to be more in the main stage. They were a little bit more uh, in, in terms of the context of what was happening. And then you have 12 minor prophets that we see. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? That's a mouthful. And so you have these people, men, a few women, who were characterized by the phrase, the word of the Lord came to. And so some of these prophets were during the times of the kings. Some of the prophets were during the time of, of the exile, when they were exiled to Babylon or they were exiled to Assyria. And then when they began to come back from exile and come back into the land, you have certain prophets that were around then. So when you're reading, you have to find out what's the context, which prophet, and where were they, where were they writing, what was their season of writing. But what is, what is a prophet? What's the threefold function of a prophet that we see in the Old Testament? As God's spokesman, their message that we see, it comes in three ways. First, they functioned as preachers. They functioned as preachers. They were expounding and interpreting the Mosaic law to the nation. And it was their duty to admonish, to reprove, to denounce sin, to threaten with terrors of judgment, to call to repentance, to bring consolation and pardon. Their activity of rebuking sin and calling for repentance consumed more of the prophet's time than any other feature of their work. Anything else that they did, their rebuke was driven home oftentimes by predictions of punishment that, that would come in the future that God intended to send to those who did not heed the prophet's warning. So the prophets were warning the people, they were preaching to the people, they were calling the people back from idolatry, calling the people to repentance, calling the people to turn their hearts back to God, to put away their idolatry. And that was primarily of what they did. For example, Jonah 3, 4, Jonah went to the city of Nineveh, and it says he began going into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And as he went, he was hoping that Nineveh would be overthrown. But how many of you know that God in his mercy caused the people of Nineveh to repent? And for a season, the people of Nineveh repented and Jonah pouted. <laughs> but he was preaching. He was preaching on behalf of God. Second, they functioned as predictors. Predictors, those who announced coming judgment, deliverance, and events relating to the Messiah and his kingdom. 
And oftentimes when we think about prophets, we think about foretelling the future. But a prophet is not a fortune teller. The prophet was not somebody who was always about predicting the future. They were more so forth-telling. Forth-telling, which is speaking on behalf of another. They were speaking on behalf of God. They were interpreting the times based on the warnings that God had given in his word. They were exhorting people of what it was that God had told them and what was coming if they did not repent. They're speaking on behalf of God. Again, interpreting the times. Excuse me. And warning the people. Exhorting the people. And warning what would happen. Warnings. Warnings. Let me tell you something. Predicting was never, predicting the future was never intended to satisfy man's curiosity. Oftentimes that's what we, we think. And we got to be careful because that's not the idea. But it was designed to demonstrate that how many know God knows and controls the future? <laughs> you need to heed the warnings because God knows. God's, God's purposeful. It was a purposeful revelation. The prediction was given by a true prophet. And, and they would know because it would visibly be fulfilled. And a failure, a failure of the prediction to be fulfilled would indicate that the prophet had not spoken the word of God. Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22 gives what you ought to know, how you can identify a true prophet from a false prophet. 1 Samuel 3, 19, it said of Samuel that the Lord was with him and let none of his prophetic words fail or literally fall to the ground. What Samuel said would happen, happened. When, when Samuel would say that something was going to happen, it would visibly be fulfilled. That's how you can confirm the prophet. Finally, they functioned as watchmen over the people of Israel. We see this in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 3 and verse 17. And like Ezekiel, who warned against political military alliances and a temptation towards idolatry and cultic worship, these kinds of things kind of muddied the water. He also warned of the danger of, of, of placing excessive confidence in religious formalism and sacrificial ritual. He said, listen, you're going through the motions, but you're like whitewashed walls. He was preaching and exhorting them, listen, don't just go through the motions. He was a watchman calling and saying, listen, listen, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to tell you what's coming. There is danger coming if you do not repent. If you do not get your heart right with God, if you do not start serving, stop serving these other idols, you are going to be in danger of God's punishment. You're going to be in danger of his judgment. And that was part of the role of the prophet. The prophetic books and the throughout the prophets, they, they also looked forward with great expectation to the promises of God that the Christ would come, that the Messiah would come. They were looking forward to the Messiah coming, and they would, they would in, within it, Isaiah in particular, and, and other prophets, you see weaved in their prophecies that were fulfilled later on in Jesus Christ. Now people say, well, who do you have to be to be a prophet? Do you have to, do you, what kind of personality do you have to have? Well, the truth is the personalities were different with the prophets. In fact, you read the book of Amos, you find out that Amos was a farmer from the south part of the land, and he started calling down judgment on, on the other nations. He, he called judgment down on Edom and said, it's on your head, and Amnon, it's on your head. And he goes almost through everybody, and then all of a sudden, you know, the people of Israel are going, go get him, go get him, go get him. And then he turns, and he begins to prophesy to, to Israel and calling them back to repentance. And they're like, whoa, 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 we don't mind if you judge all of them, don't judge us, Right? 
You can judge the world. You can, you can stand up against that and say, Hollywood, oh, bad, bad, bad. Washington, bad, bad, bad. This, bad, bad, bad. But don't start on us. I mean, that, 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 you know, whoa. Isaiah was eloquent, sophisticated. Daniel, you know, we know him as Daniel the lion's den, but Daniel had some buddies. He was relational. You know, he, he was tough, but he was relational. Jeremiah, when it came to the word of God, he was a little bit insecure. When the call came, he goes, not me. I can't speak. Not me. I can't, I can't do that. How many of you say, oh, that's like me. I'm insecure. Well, guess what? You can be used by God. You can be used by God. In fact, Jeremiah was a weeper, man. He cried. He wrote a book called Lamentations, too. And then we think of the quintessential prophet in the Old Testament. We think of Elijah, right? Elijah, right? The prophets of Baal, Mount Carmel, were in March Madness right now. And there was almost a March Madness thing that was going on. 450 prophets of Baal, and he was the underdog. And he calls them up in this kind of March Madness. And, you know, and he was also a trash talker. We have any trash talkers in the house? You know, when you, when you play, you trash. He was a trash talker. You know, he's like, where is your God? How come he's not showing up? Come on, the God who answers by fire. Maybe, 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 you know, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you got to cry out loud. And then he goes on to say, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe, maybe he's doing some business in the bathroom. Maybe he's too busy for you. You know, I mean, but, but we see that, that there it is, man. And he calls fire from heaven down. Woo, man, that's what it is. But prophetic messages express judgment and grace. They, per, they profess future hope and present warning, wrath and mercy. Kind of sounds like parenting, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, he's telling him, this is what you need to do to get right. Listen, I'm warning you, get right. Don't do that. Don't go down that path. Because the consequences are life and death. Life and death, not only for you, but whole nations were sliding. And in the early part, the law was given to Moses and the prophets essentially just come along later. And they say, listen, how are you doing with the law? Did you forget the law of God? Did you forget the worship of God? Where is your heart? You might be doing the religious things like fasting, but somebody like Isaiah comes along and says, listen, you can't fast like this is the fasting that I desire. Helping them to understand, providing warnings warnings later on Jesus said this in the great commandment you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength and you shall what love your neighbor as yourself and as the law and the prophets he says the law and the prophets hang on this hang on this and you know what I found interesting never saw this before never never picked up on this before but Jesus has he, he is transfigured in front of his disciples he goes up on what they call the mount of transfiguration and, and it's there in which he takes uh, Peter James and John with him up up there and, and they go up there with him and it's there that the glory of the Lord begins to show and he's transfigured before them but when he goes up who is there with him Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the prophets. They all hang on this, but Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of it all. The fulfillment of the prophecy and the fulfillment of the law. Wow. Maybe it's just me. I thought that was really cool. You know, I, I give all that as a background to this season of the prophets, but I really want to go back to this area of warning, and I want to I just... I want us to just stay there for a few moments that we have left this morning. And the big point I want to emphasize is this. Friends, warnings are not bad. Warnings are good. Warnings are good. We oftentimes see warnings as bad. We see warnings as negative things. But I'm telling you, warnings are good. Why? Warnings are the preemptive strikes of a loving God. They're the preemptive strikes of a loving God. The people who warn you are the people who care about you. 
If, if somebody didn't care about you, they just let you go and do whatever you want to do, and they go, well, it's your life. You live it. Oh, you want to go down that path? Sure. Some even don't warn you. In fact, they come alongside and they say, oh, let's do this together. But the people that love you are the people that say, danger, 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 warning, warning, warning. Don't go down that path. That's not a good decision. That's not wise. If you keep making your face like that, it's going to stay that way. I'm just kidding. Seriously. When we look at warnings, we cannot see warnings in the negative. The prophetic warnings were not about the negative. They were about a loving God that said, listen, I don't want you to take that, to go down that path. I don't want you to experience those consequences. I don't want you to experience that pain. I don't want you to go through that hurt. I am calling you. I am warning you. Come back to me. Lamentations 3.22. I mean, we're singing about the goodness of God. I love it. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. Warnings permeate the long story, the northern kingdom and the northern prophets, the southern kingdom and the southern prophets. God goes out of his way over a period of 500 years to continue, 500 years to continue to call his people back to him. To give them chance after chance after chance after chance after chance to stop doing their own thing, to stop going their own way, and to return to him. We look sometimes and we go, well, why did he allow captivity? Why did he allow the Babylonians to come in and to take them captive? They, they were a heathen nation. Why did he allow the Assyrians? They were terrible. Why did he allow them to come in and take them captive? Listen, after 500 years, he said, all right. I've got, to, I've got to allow this so that my people will finally experience that pain and turn back to me. The idea of warning continues throughout Scripture. Even during the time we're going to talk about next week, a time of 400 years of silence where there is no prophetic voice. The people are being warned, I love you, I love you, I love you. That's an amazing God to give those kinds of warnings. Secondly, warnings prepare us for what's coming. As I mentioned in the beginning, there are traffic signs to prepare us of changes or, or what's coming. There are alerts that come that, that prepare us for weather changes we get on and, and what's, what's coming. What, kind of, what can we experience? There are warning sirens that go off that tell you when there is danger and that warn you about what is coming. And Jesus said this in John 16, 1 through 4 to his disciples, I told you these things that you won't abandon your faith. For you'll be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service for God. This is because they've never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. How many of you are disciples of Jesus Christ? Then we should not be surprised when persecution comes. When you take your ground, when you stand your faith, when you stand on your faith and you stand your ground for Jesus Christ as a believer in Jesus Christ and you stand on his word and you do what he tells you to do, you should not be surprised if you experience persecution. Jesus warned about it. We should not be surprised that Chick-fil-A gets persecuted. Even though they have welcomed anybody and everybody to come and enjoy their restaurant and never held anybody out, 
the moment that they asked particular questions about what they believe concerning marriage and those kind of things, when they simply stood their ground on what they, the, they said the Bible says and what they believe, all of a sudden, everybody else, there's this outcry. And we go, how can that be? Jesus said it would happen. We have been blessed in this nation as believers, and I'm speaking to believers. If you're not a believer, maybe you're a seeker, you, you need to know this too. Jesus said in his word that when you are a believer, when you stand for these things, those who do not understand, those whose minds have not been opened up to the truth of the gospel, and that might sound strange to you, but, uh, but those who don't quite uh, know Jesus or love Jesus, they don't like this. It's light. They don't like it. So persecution is going to come. There were warnings about what is coming. Prepare these warnings about what is coming. We've also been warned in Scripture about what's coming. You know what's coming? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Throughout the Scriptures we hear that Jesus said, I will return for my bride. In the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet will shout, shall, the last trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and all who remain shall be caught up, that's rapture, to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus is coming. And part of that is warning, and part of our voice today, part of the voice we have as believers is to sound the warning. Get it right. Get right with God, because Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah prophesied a warning to prepare the people for exile to Babylon. Nobody else wanted to believe it. There were other prophets that kept telling the kings what they wanted to hear. And they were saying, oh, you don't have to heed that warning. You don't have to worry. Oh, God will step in and he'll never allow Babylon to take over. You can just live however you want to live. Just keep going. We're going to experience victory. And, and they were lying. And Jeremiah comes in and he says, listen, prepare, because you, you have not, you've not gotten right, and Babylon is coming. Babylon is coming. And as a result, they said, man, you, you're turning your back on Israel. You, 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 don't even, you're not, you don't even have national pride anymore. And he says, no, I'm trying to make it easier on you. Quit fighting against it. Just understand it's going to come. And in Jeremiah 25, 8 and 9, he says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. Now, we don't like that. We go, what? What? Ne Nebuchadnezzar? What? Who is Nebuchadnezzar? Well, you remember that Nebuchadnezzar, who was, who was there with Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, who tried to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar, who was around? Daniel, because God was using this. God had a plan. And, 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 and what was his plan? Well, he prophesied and said, listen, prepare. 70 years of captivity for every year that you didn't obey the Sabbath. Every year, you didn't, there's 70 years of captivity that are coming. But I keep my promises, and there'll be a remnant. And here's what I want you to do. Jeremiah 29, 5 to 7, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Sons, give your daughters and marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Listen, even in the midst of captivity, God was telling his people, listen, I want you to be fruitful even in the midst of captivity. Even in the midst of circumstances you don't like. Even in the midst of circumstances where there is pressure. Let me tell you something about persecution. Whenever the church has been persecuted, the church multiplies. 
We say, I don't like persecution. Well, we're not multiplying, so maybe God needs to allow persecution to happen so we'll actually be about his business. Or the warning is, get to be about the Lord's business. I know, that's a heavy message. But he says, listen, multiply, do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Seek the welfare and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For its welfare, you will find your welfare. So in other words, work. Work. Bless. Do what you've got to do. Bless your city. we got to get out and bless our city. Man, bless your city. His, 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 it was prepare the people. How do you live in a foreign land? How do you live in a land where, where they don't honor God, where they don't follow? How, how do you live there? This is what you do. This is the pathway. You begin to live in fruitfulness. You begin to live in fruitfulness so that you can begin to influence the very place where you're at. That you have influence there. And we see later on in Scripture that, that, that there was a guy by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah moved into a place of influence. He was a cupbearer to the king. And when he heard about a report of the walls being burned down and things happening back home, he began to pray and he began to fast. And God opened up the door and then used him to rebuild. But he was being fruitful where he was planted. Jeremiah, we know Jeremiah 29, that's 5 to 7. We love Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm. Plans to give you hope and a future. Listen, it was not to destroy. It was to bring the people back to him and to warn them about what is coming. Warn them about what is coming. You're going to be there 70 years, but I will fulfill my promise to you. Verse 10 of Jeremiah 29, 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I'll visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And that's what we read in Scripture when we get to Ezra, and we look at the time that Ezra and, and Nehemiah, and we look at that section of time and what was happening. And even during the time of, of, of Esther was a time where you see that, that there was going to be great persecution, but God was still holding on to his promise and keeping his people even in the midst of exile. God God was fulfilling his promise. You say, that was then, this is now. Well, similarly, this broken world is not our ultimate destination, is it, friends? We're awaiting a promise of Christ's return, and the Bible is full of instructions on how we ought to live and how we ought to prepare ourselves for his return. Thirdly, warnings call us back from our wanderings. 1 Timothy 6, 20 to 21, Timothy said this, Guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid godless and foolish discussions with those who oppose you and their so-called knowledge. Some have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. We tend to be drifters and wanderers. I don't know about you, but my mind sometimes can wander on me. My mind can get away. I'm, I'm thinking about one thing, and, and, and man, all of a sudden something else comes in, and this thought, and I'm down, down the road. Anybody else have that problem? You know, maybe I need medication. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. We tend to be wanderers, right? And Paul says that warnings call us back from our wanderings. He was warning because they call us back from our wandering ways. And we've watched during this long story short of the people of God. They were created for him. They were created for himself. And yet they're on the run. They wanted to be like their neighbors. We want a king. We want to be like our neighbors. And let me tell you something. When you want to be like other people, you listen to what they listen to. And you watch what they watch, and, and you do what they do, and pretty soon you begin to think like they think. God doesn't want us to think like they think. God wants us to think like he thinks. 
when I want to want to be like others around me, I start to wander and I get distracted and I get disoriented and disconnected, disenfranchised, dysfunctional, I become disabled. And the prophet stands often at his own parable, peril over and over and he says, listen, stop wandering. Stop wandering into idolatry. Stop wandering away from the Lord. I want to call you back from your wandering. Will you come home? Hosea is a great example of this. Hosea was, was called to marry a prostitute by the name of Gomer. And he, he provided a family, provided a home, but her wandering heart kept leading her back into prostitution and God wouldn't let him divorce her. He kept saying, go after her, go after her because it was a picture of what God does for you and I. He goes after us as we wander. He goes after us and he brings us back and he loves us and he clothes us and he's constantly calling us back from our wandering. And Hosea the prophet said this in Hosea 6, 1 through 2, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us but he will bind up our wounds and after two days he will revive us and on the third day mm, he will restore us that we may live in his presence right and what, what is that that's it that, that's what what's that pointing to that's pointing to the resurrection right that's pointing what Jesus Jesus died on the cross two days he went down he took the keys of hell two days he was down and then he rose what on the third day and what's he do he brings us into the presence of God new life hallelujah <laughs> calling us back from our wanderings fourthly biblical warnings call us to remember remember the God who created you not just what he said but who he is it's a call to remember because when you remember when you remember, you're going to be okay. When you remember, you'll turn back. Listen to what Ezekiel says. He says, when you wander off, I'm going to hunt you down. I'm going to bring you back even after you're wandering. Whatever is left. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22. Therefore, give to the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. Again, a prophet speaking on behalf of the Lord. I am bringing you back, not because you deserve it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm doing it to protect my holy name. In other words, I, I made a covenant relationship, and I'm going to keep my covenant. It's because of me, not because of you, on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show how holy my great name is, the name on which uh, brought, uh, excuse me, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord, for I will gather you up from among the nations, and I will bring you home again to your land. He says, listen, I'm going to cause you to remember I'm going to bring you back. He's giving promises in the midst of warnings. And God does this over and over and over again. A promise-keeping God. A promise-keeping God. When we are not faithful, when we have wandered off, he is constantly reminding us. And through the prophetic voice, reminds us to remember. To remember his goodness. To remember his faithfulness. To remember what he's done. And to come back from our wandering ways. Warnings call us to remember. On the back of many... Fire trucks following, there's a following warning. It says keep back, and then it gives a number of how many feet. Many of them say keep back, 343 feet. Maybe keep back 10 feet, 20 feet, but 30 feet, but 343 feet. If I'm back that far, can I even see that? Right? What is 343 feet? What, 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 is, what is 343? Is that a city block? What is 343 feet? So I began investigating this. And I discovered that it's not only a warning to stay back clearly, 
But it's a warning to remember the 343 firefighters that died on 9-11 during the terrorist attacks. That warning is also a call to remember. It's a call to remember. And with the prophets, we have a God who comes along and says, I'm warning you because you need to remember. You need to remember who I am. You need to remember what I've done. A warning is a remembrance of the character and the sacrifice of the Most High God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up because we're going to close in just a few moments. Friends, God shows us through his warnings, through the prophets and their warnings, that he is a loving God. And that his warnings are there to protect us. They're there to protect us from danger. They're there to prepare us for traps that lie ahead. They're there to bring us back from our wanderings. They're there to call us to remember his great love for us. Now, I don't know about you, but how many know God makes us uniquely different, right? And I love music. And oftentimes when I'm in a conversation and something gets said, a song will just suddenly pop up and I'll find myself quoting that song or singing that song. Even if I don't know the whole song, I may know a line or two. And that, that's just part of conversation. It just kind of comes up, right? It just, it just kind of happens. And so a song came to my mind as I was preparing for this message. And then I struggled because I thought, well, Lord, I don't know if I should use it because it, it's not a Christian song. You know, it's something when I was growing up, a song that, you know, you, when you listen to and it just comes back to your mind. So I hesitated. And I said, you know what, I feel like, Lord, you're maybe leading for this. And so a couple of weeks ago, we were reminiscing about 80 songs at home. Jamie and I were talking, and Olivia came into the room, and, and, uh, and, and she began to share some of the ones that, you know, uh, she liked and found out they were from the 80s. And, oh, my goodness, they're that old, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I was remembering one of the bands in the 80s that I liked. And, you know, I played basketball, and we had a basketball coach, Dan Boothman. And, and, and Dan loved 80s classic rock. He loved 80s classic. I mean, meatloaf and, and, and all. I mean, we would go on, on basketball trips, and that's what we playing the entire time was this, was, was this stuff. And so I got to like 80s classic rock. And so I came, I remembered a song when I was preparing this message, a song by the Eagles called Desperado. 45 years ago, this band wrote this song because they had a friend who had wandered off. He wandered off, and he, they were concerned about him. They were concerned about some of the things, and so they collaborated together, and, and, and they, they began to write this song to their friend. And these are the words of the song. Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? Come down from your fences, open the gate. It may be raining, but there's a rainbow above you. You better let somebody love you. Let somebody love you before it's too late. And you know, I'd like to take that song, I'd like to put a capital S on somebody. Because there's a warning, and it's calling to some of you, that you better stop running, and you better let somebody love you. You better let somebody love you. You better let somebody, there is somebody, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he loves you. And he says, listen, my warnings are not to harm you. They're to protect you. They're to draw you in. They're to lead you in. They're to bring you back. I want you under my protective arms. I want you. Will you let me love you? Will you let somebody love you? And that was the prophet's message that Almighty God the Almighty God who created you, the Almighty God who designed you, the Almighty God has called you, He has gifted you, He has chased you, and He loves you. <laughs> the one who warns you loves you. 
That's the message of the prophets. The one who warns you loves you. And he says, stop chasing. Stop looking everywhere else to fulfill what only I can fulfill. Stop running. It's time to run to my arms. It's time to turn around. And it's time to come home. So my question is, have you been wandering? Have you been drifting? Have you been ignoring the warnings of God? If so, Jesus is calling you home. He's calling you home. He loves you and he's calling you to let somebody love you. To let Jesus love you. Will you heed his warning today? Let's bow our heads. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If that's you and you need to come home, you need to come to Jesus today. Maybe you've never accepted Christ into your life. Maybe you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you did this once or twice. But you take a look at where you're at right now and your heart has wandered away. And you say, the Lord is calling me back to repentance. The Lord is calling me to, to get back and to get right with him. And so if that's you, maybe it's your first time, or maybe you say, you know what, I need to come home again. I need to repent again. I need to, to come back to Jesus. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today? You want to come back to Jesus. You want to come back to Jesus today. You want to come back, and you want to run into his loving arms. Is there anybody today you'd acknowledge and say, I need Jesus. I need to, I need to come back to Jesus today. I need to repent. I need to come back from my wandering. I need to come back to Jesus today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, today we just come before you. And Lord, if we have been wandering, we repent today. We ask you today, Lord, to forgive us. We ask you, Lord, to help us to take whatever steps are necessary to put away any idols, to put away anything else our hearts would seek, anything that would get in the way of following you. Father, we repent of our sin, we repent of turning to other things. And Father, we return to you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your mercy and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's just stand and just sing to the Lord today as we close our service. Just come on, let's just worship the Lord. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.